Welcome again to Fat Free Film. Welcome. I'm Joel Marshall. And I'm Kamala Lopez Dawson. This is Kamala Lopez Dawson's first show as a co-host. Uh, she'll be co-hosting here with me. Uh, and uh, so I welcome Kamala Lopez Dawson. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here. That's my name. Don't wear it out. And why don't you introduce these two gentlemen that are here? Well, we're sitting here with Alan Berg and Matthew Franklin. Um, Alan Berg directed, wrote, produced and directed, I believe, this wonderful documentary called A Place to Dance. And Matthew Franklin was the director of photography. It was absolutely beautifully shot. Um, it's a documentary about... Uh, Swing dancing, uh, people for whom swing dancing is extremely important in the city of New Orleans and uh, tangentially about the hurricane and its effect on their lives. So this film um, came about in a kind of a unique way from what I understand. Could you tell us how this um, project germinated? Sure. What happened was we had a musician friend who knew the big band leader's daughter and she wanted something done on her dad and so matt and i went down and we looked at the club we started doing this piece but we quickly realized the story there was much larger than just her dad that it was about this community that had danced together for 65 years and a lot of characters and just a lot of fun to be around now do you live in austin is that where you live where are you from? Uh, I live in Austin. Both Matt and I do. I, I'd worked in New Orleans for about 15 months in the early 90s. Loved the city. Was excited to have an opportunity to go back. And this, this project started out first as a short film and then won, uh, did, win the Deep Ellum Award uh, Film Festival? Well, I actually... Addicted. Addicted won the Deep Ellum. This won the Audience Award at the Austin Film Festival and... Richard Linklater's producer, Ann Walker McBay, saw it and became a fan and said, you needed to develop this into a feature. And so that started us down the road, and it's two years later now. Matt, did you work on the short film as well? Yeah, yeah. I've been uh, pretty there since uh, day one. Um, we got the, the Pat Barbaro piece. It was pretty much a, a vanity piece on, on Pat. And uh, the Austin Film Festival experience was... That was the... Uh, I don't know. That, that gave us a lot of enthusiasm about developing the story and developing the story of the community. Um, it, it, was a, it was a fun thing for me to do. I really enjoyed the whole thing. And it, being able to get there on you know, our four- and five-day trips was, it was something I look forward to. Yeah, this piece, um, I felt like a, one of the things that really drives it are these characters, these people that are involved in going to this. I guess they go every Sunday night and dance, and they've been doing it for forever. Um, this band also that it revolves around basically there's a band in the piece that's a big band and they they've been playing this kind of music since their teens i think and we get to hear something about each particular member and um, things kind of go along as uh you know as you guys are working on it how long did it take to shoot this piece what we would do is well initially for the for the short we did what two four-day trips yeah and so then, then we came back, and they said, well, let's develop it into a feature. And, you know, instead of waiting around for financing, which never would have come, we just said, well, we've got to go down and shoot this. I mean, the next, we had to go shoot Veterans Day. We had to go shoot Frank Alessi returning from surgery. We had to go to New Year's Eve. And so we'd just parachute in and shoot two or three days at a time, come back, look through the footage, 
see how it played into the story. We sort of knew who our key characters were, and so we kept up with them by phone. And so it was sort of going in strategically shooting to keep things cost-effective since it's coming out of pocket and then going back down as events warranted. Is it difficult to get, when you do a documentary like this, is it difficult to get interviews with people to get people to relax in front of the camera, or is that, do, are they just, you just find the naturals? There, we, uh, both. Um, we, we definitely had naturals. We, we pick, we, you know, we, when you find 96, the guy on the, in the picture with the rings, yeah. you know this guy's a character and he's not shy at all and he comes right up to you and wants to, and a lot of these people are in a period of their life where they're very reflective and they want to share with you and sometimes a little bit overflow. But, uh, <laughs> and then there, there was people when we first started coming around the club, you know, we were, we were doing a lot of boom miking and, uh, it was very disruptive, um, dragging lighting around, and we weren't really, it, there was a, a learning curve for them getting used to us and us figuring out what was going to work best as far as uh, basically collecting moments in the club. And it was, you know, we, we found a place where they didn't complain about the lighting. If we brought lighting up too high, they, you know, they like a dark dance floor and they, get, they have their, their time on the dance floor with their their people and you know when you put spotlights you know 1k floods on them they they got sensitive and we we kept that to a minimum we found out you know what was the minimum amount of light we could use with the camera we were using and we just kind of kind of kept it there and try to kept it keep a uniform look throughout the piece um same lighting grid and once i think once they got used to seeing like all the same things all the time they, you know we we slowly disappeared and you know and, and people that were kind of suspect of us uh, became very friendly so what camera did you use we used uh, the Panasonic DVX 100A and we we shot it in the the progressive thing and uh, in the the squeeze mode the the 16.9 um, and it was it turned out to be a, it was a, it was a great tool um, maybe because uh, small size you know there, there's limitations with the glass on that camera but it's it's not really an obtrusive item. When you say limitations on the glass, do you mean the lenses? The lens, right. The, if you notice in the movie, there's a... There's a fisheye lens you use. I, I use a lot of lens attachments in it. Um, you can, it's easy to get a flat image on those cameras. Uh, the, the depth of field is you know, fairly large, and to actually, to actually you know, drop a background out of focus or something, that, that can be challenging with that camera. You did a lot of technique, too, I noticed, where you'd put something in the foreground and, and there'd be something in the background that you were focusing on mainly, but there'd be a real nice sharp thing in the, in the, in the front there. Right. Uh, is that difficult to get on that camera? Um, it's, I wouldn't say it's difficult, but it's, uh, you know, it takes a little more treatment than, than something else like you know maybe a camera with a bigger chips and, and a nicer nicer glass on it um but i mean you can you can create depth by by using foreground background by using the end of the lens by using you know the, the lens attachments for exaggerated perception with the, the fish eyes etc <clears throat> excuse me but you know there is when you when you go into a, the project and you and you kind of start understanding what the camera's limitations are it's not a it's not a it doesn't kill it you just have to change your technique a little bit so so when you say the attachments do you mean um i i assume you don't mean that they use say panavision you don't have a lens package with it or do you well, I would uh, I would go to a rental house and get uh, a fisheye lens adapter and a wide angle lens adapter um 
I didn't really use any any map box. Um, I think you know, no filters. Um, I think I had a polarizer out for some some uh, cloudy day stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was a uh, Century Optics fisheye adapter, and I mean, what is it? It rents for like twenty five bucks a day. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I think it's probably a thousand dollar item. Mm -hmm. But. I had a great relationship with the my rental store, and they would cut me deals. They they liked you know seeing it go out, and they liked you know hearing about the project. And is it difficult in an area like um, New Orleans at the time when you were shooting to uh, rent equipment? I know in LA, it's that we have a lot of different rental houses to choose from. But even so, sometimes we're calling around to find a specific camera or something. Is it more difficult where you are, or in Austin, or in New Orleans? Austin has a great film community, and and uh, equipment's easily accessible and it's mm -hmm. there's you know there's there's not that many of us compared to LA so it's like everybody knows each other and you know quick quick run around the, the phone calls so that you can use, locate pretty much anything mm -hmm. but we were getting our gear and taking our gear out of Austin we didn't do anything in New Orleans I mean that's Austin's my community that's where I know the people and Alan do you find Austin to be a really artistic community or a really good community to be in as an as an artist sure it struck me of the 20 films that were in competition this year in narrative fiction and documentary, four of them are by Austin directors. We'll claim Brad Beasley. He recently moved from Austin to San Francisco. But the point is, I mean, these people grew up in, in, in the Austin film community. And you're talking about at the L.A. Film Festival. At the L.A. Film Festival. I might mention that we are uh, at the L.A. Film Festival, something I didn't mention before. Um, Alan's film is in that festival. I don't know whether we mentioned that or not. No. But, if so, um, but anyway, continue. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, no, no problem. But, I mean, the thing is, is, is that so out of 20, 20 of these, and they're from, from all over the world, four of them have Austin ties. It's more than any other contention here, you know. And, and, and more importantly, it's like what I think has happened is you've had Mike Judge and Richard Linklater and Robert Rodriguez achieve pretty high-level success, but you have all those people that work with them, and they're still doing a lot of work in Austin, even though they do a lot of work out here. So there's a, there's a network to draw from. My sound editor works for Mike Judge. The colorist who did our wonderful color correction job worked with Richard Linklater. And when I was sitting across from Brad Beasley last night, we hadn't had a chance to really talk before because he, he's been out on a shoot with flaming lips and and so and so we're chatting with him well the same colorist did his color correction and so having those guys in austin that have achieved some level of success and there's there are these people that have worked with them and sort of learned under them means that there are resources we can call upon and they did things very reasonably mm. so it didn't bankrupt us and and so yeah it's, it's a tremendously supportive community i felt that the aesthetic in this documentary was particularly high High aesthetic, really beautiful. Um, That's Matt. Uh, totally. I, I mean, I really, really thought it was it was lovely. Generally, you don't you don't get much of an aesthetic in, in a, or you get a particular aesthetic in a documentary. And I think this was much more painterly. I also loved the opening um, title credit sequence. I thought that was extremely well. Could you tell well us a little done. bit about that? How who did that and how it was done? Well, I, I've got a little studio in Austin and there's a bunch of us that are sort of freelance independents that office under the same roof and so that's just a case of the animation company they're based out of Nashville they're called Magnetic Dreams and, and they have 16 animators in Nashville but they felt like they had hired all the good talent in Nashville and heard a lot about what was going on in Austin wanted to establish a toehold in Austin so they opened an Austin office 
And so we just went to them and said, can you build us an open? And they said, sure. And that's sort of how, how it came about. We had from, from the photography, uh, surely one of the characters in there has a bunch of old albums, had a bunch of old albums before Katrina. And so we sent freeze frame stills of those albums to Magnetic Dream so they could look at the aesthetic mm -hmm. that we wanted and sort of mimic what they were doing with record label design and mm -hmm. the color palette and so forth. And they just sort of built out from that. And, and they, have, they have a wonderful creative uh, instinct, I think. Isn't that a particularly costly uh, thing to do? They did it for Deferred because, yeah. because we've done enough. The way this thing has worked has been that, that we do a lot of corporate industrial work videos for Dell. Matt and I were shooting yesterday for another Austin-based company. So you get full rate on that right. and you divert that to cover the art. And so with Magnetic Dreams, we'd done a bunch of work with them on other projects. And they said, let, let us just do this for you because they knew that really this is, this is something that's feeding the soul and not the pocketbook. That seems like a very clever way to handle this dichotomy that we all have to deal with, which is basically how can we do what we love and still pay our bills. And I think that the whole idea of continuing to still be making films, albeit industrials or some sort of, let's say, not as satisfying artistically, um, you're still within your field, you're still creative, you're still enjoying um, doing that versus working in an office. And I think that's a really um, clever way to handle it. I, I also noticed, though, that you're a professor. Well, I, I teach a, uh, uh, a journalism class at the UT School of Journalism. My, my background is as a political reporter. I spent 15 years doing that and was the bureau chief in Austin for the ABC affiliate in Dallas. And the medium changed. The business I entered is not the business I left. And I'd always wanted to tell longer form stories when we were allowed in, in television. And that's how I started doing documentary. Matt comes out of television news as well. Mm. It's a great training ground because you're doing this every day. And when you talk about the aesthetic, I mean, it's pretty, uh, it's, like, it's like the minor leagues. You're getting your reps in and you're learning how to do what you do. I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, if, if you go into, like, I, I had great experiences working, uh, you know, getting, cutting my teeth in uh, small media markets, etc. If I looked at it, at it as the, uh, you know, I went out to make a minute and a half documentary every day, that was, you know, that was, it was easy to take that way. Mm -hmm. You know, if I was attaching my whole soul to the, you know, what this, this crazy little newscast in Rockford, Illinois was all about and what kind of like credibility it had, it was depressing, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I went there and made my mistakes and what Alan calls them like a sacrificial audiences, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but, uh, you know, I walked out of there with some, uh, some tools and, um, you know, slowly got, uh, I guess I was doing it for about three years and slowly got into doing things a little longer format. And Alan and I had a similar desire for doing similar stories. And, um, yeah. And like you said about doing, I, I was able to bring a lot of what I do for money into this. Like a lot of the things I learned about that camera, I'd use that camera on, you know, uh, cable, cable television shoots, reality show shoots. So I was very familiar with the camera and I already knew what, what it could and couldn't do basically. Um, where, where we had issues with audio, um, and you know how, if, if I was aware that it, given a certain treatment of this camera, we, we wound up with that camera cause it had, it gave a lot for a little bit of money and 
given certain care, it, you know, you, you can come out with a very nice product. And now I was able to find that out through doing, you know, work outside of that project. So did you, when you came to uh, put it in a movie theater now, is it, is it all digital now? And uh, are you planning on making a film print of it? Or what are your plans with that? I think what the deal is is that this has all been out of pocket, mm -hmm. and what happens to it ultimately depends on what the outlet is. Mm -hmm. When we got accepted, we got accepted into the Los Angeles Film Festival on the basis of a rough cut, and and we knew that getting accepted in there, we needed to look professional, and so we decided, okay, let's do color correction, let's do sound editing, and let's. We did DigiBeta. We didn't bump it to HD, mm -hmm. principally because in talking to people who know about such things, they say we're not really going to gain that much through the difference between Digi and HD. But what ultimately happens to it is going to depend on what the, the final outlet is. It's, I find that the film, is um, I think, would be appealing to a lot of different audiences. You know, um, even though um, mainly it's about older people that like to dance in this one hall, I think there are some really universal themes in that. And also, I think it also causes a person to, I, at least me, it causes me to look at my own life and, you know, how you're living each day. Because I think there's a kind of a theme in it that says, you know, live each day like, like it was your last. I also felt like you were breaking some ingrained stereotypes that people have about what older people enjoy and what they're like. And... Um, I, I found that really, you know, sometimes slightly disconcerting, like the older men that were pretty horny, you know, like crazy, like it was a little disturbing, but I was also kind I found of it happy. inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did. I found it inspiring as well. And I just, I suddenly realized, you know what? I think just being old is just being you just a little later on, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I really like that. Um, what, is, what are your future? Do you have another film in the works or um, another project that you're excited about doing? You first. Uh, you know, it's bouncing ideas around, and nothing's really hit any traction yet. I, you know, we're still, we just finished up mopping this thing up, and that's, that was a big deal. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it feels like we're getting through this, and that was, that was a big hurdle, and it, it it's definitely time to start thinking about it, but you know, I'm still very interested in in New Orleans, and there's a, there's a lot of things going on there still, and it I I think it's worth being back there for uh, you know documenting one of the most unique American cities, and you know what what is it going to turn into? Mm. Yeah, I mean, that was another thing about this film is uh, I found it sort of uh, uplifting about the human spirit and how they can recover after something so horrible that occurs uh, and the way these people you know we had seen their houses throughout this thing and then all of a sudden we see what it really brought it home to understand the the damage to this did to people's lives at least on a certain you know we can understand it on a certain level not having been there um, so I appreciate that too um, were you involved Matt in the post-production of this uh, extensively or it Yes, yes, I was. Um, you know, I'm, I was there for color correction, and uh, it, and I, the reason I like working with Alan a lot is he gives me a lot of input when we're when we're structuring narrative or um, building sequences. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I remember things that that missed being batch digitized or something, and uh, you know. It, it, I feel like I have a little, a lot more creative control or creative input working with Alan 
Um, so the answer is yes, and mm-hmm. you know, gladly. So, okay, Alan, what are you up to next, or can you think? That we far? we've been we've been talking about doing something gospel music related, mm-hmm. potentially out of New Orleans. We've to, to to be truthful, it's a little it's a little bit like like Matt says the 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 sound editor put it put it best. He he talked about how making a movie is like giving birth but then you give birth and you got to keep the baby alive <laughs> so, so we're, we're out here trying to find somebody to buy our baby mm-hmm. and that's taking our energy we were editing until the friday before the monday that we came out mm-hmm. and and we know that when you come out to these things we've been meeting with with people because our we, we've, we've had some folks that have seen it and like it and they're interested and so we're trying to come up with a good answer for that, but the reality is, is, is that we're a little unspooled because it just took so much energy just to get it done. Because it, it is, it's like you, you have your day job and then you have your passion. Mm-hmm. So, do you have anybody assisting you in that process, like a producer's rep or an agent? We have people that are popping out of the woodwork. This was an interesting process to us because after we won the audience award and after Ann Walker McBay came aboard, we had some pretty high-level folks that got involved. Pretty powerful entity in the in the film business. We Can were you pretty, say who that I, is? I, I, I don't really want to because they were helpful to us, but I can be more open with you. And, and generally, it's it's the same as a musician friend of mine who said, it could be great to be signed by Warner Brothers until you realize that you're one of 50 acts that Warner Brothers has, and they only count on three or four of them hitting, and mm-hmm. the other 46 will be gone after a year. Mm-hmm. And so what we realized out of this, these folks came aboard, and they were, they were good mentors to us, but at, a, some, at some point they realized that they could make more money on some other types of projects. And so we lost we, we, that's why we self-funded. There was never any real effort put into doing a development package. I didn't want the story to go away, so we did it. So coming out here, we decided that we were going to make sure that whomever was involved with the film was somebody who had seen it and was passionate about it. So instead of hiring a Los Angeles-based publicist who we didn't know, we found somebody in Austin who had seen it and was passionate about it, had never been a publicist but very smart, was able to help on that, and and I, I think that an unemployed friend of mine. Great, well, there, there you go. <laughs> who had gone to a really you know good college and all that. Yeah. And so anyway, he's, he's been great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's is he smart. responsible for this? Because this is yeah. great. All your no, he's not. That's my wife. Oh, sorry. That's my wife. <laughs> Our wife does a great job. Too. All, all your materials look beautiful. They really look very well put together. Well, these are all. This guy, the the poster artist, is is in our studio, and and so he was able to take stills from the film and then treat them. And then my wife is a graphic designer, and so it's just a matter. You talk about sort of things. I think it's like anything else. You you pull on the people. You, you exploit your friends. And family. Yeah. So what we have here, oh, yes. I just want to tell everybody, is it's a spiral-bound little, it looks like a little notebook, and on the cover it's got this beautiful um, picture here of all the different people that are in the film. If you see the film, you totally recognize these people. And then in here, there's a quote from the director. Uh, there's information about how to get a hold of them. There's names of all the people that appear in it. And there, photos. There are photos. It's all in color. And I, I tell you, as far, I, I look at a lot of things like this. This was very impressive 
for me. And it even has a little spot here where I can make some notes. And uh, I think it's a great thing, really. Uh, one of the better publicity um, things that I've seen, and you know what, I even found another one when I went over to uh, pick these guys up. I found another one, so they're obviously available for people to see. And I think that says something about your publicist and about your wife. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're at that section now, at the end of the show, where we do film bites. And film bites, I think everybody knows what that is. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll give my film bite. Uh, usually I start with my film bite. Maybe I uh, end up usurping everybody else's. <laughs> my film bite is this. Um, if you can make money making films, whether they be industrial films or commercials or music videos, uh, it's always a good thing to do because you learn about, like we were talking about here, you learn about the different cameras, you learn about what equipment works for you, what doesn't work for you, and you can learn on the job. And then when you go to make your passion piece, you're, you're, already, you're already running. You're not walking, you're not tripping. Uh, so that's my film bite for today. Matt? No, oh, my film bite. Um, I. I guess uh, the, the important thing for me through this whole thing was getting associated with a project that I was passionate about. It renewed a lot of my enthusiasm in photography, um, reminded me why I chose this line of work. Um, and, you know, I wasn't collecting. We, Alan, you know, came up with a wage for me for, for certain trips, and sometimes we didn't. And it, but it was, you know, I still had equal th enthusiasm to go. And, you know, I, I think just mentally it was... It reminded me of a lot of things and uh, confirmed a lot of choices I made to, mm -hmm. to get involved with a, a, a project I truly liked and, and not just let that slide. Great. I think for me it's important. I, I, I talk to a lot of people who tell me about things that they want to do, and a year later they're st still talking about things that they want to do. And you just sort of have to ask yourself at some point, how bad do you really want it? And you just sort of jump in because it's a little bit unclear. Constantly throughout this process, my question was, what is the next right thing for me to do? Whether it's coming to figuring out what I can pay people or what I need to shoot or how I need to balance my responsibilities to my family and my responsibilities to, to, to making this project come to fruition. But it became manageable where if I'd thought about all the things that were going to happen, then it's easy it would have been easy for me to talk myself out of it by, by saying, well, I really, really want to make this film. What's the next thing I have to do? It became manageable and it became tangible. The, other, the, the, the last thing that, that I'll say is you will always find people that will tell you what you can't do and why you can't. And you just need to go ahead and do it if you believe in it. And, and if you push hard enough, there's a way. The technology's cheap enough. You can find Final Cut. You can find a camera. And you just go out and you do it. Great. Great. That's good advice. Kamala? Um, I don't really have a film, but what I do want to say is I wish you guys all the best of luck. I think it's such a beautiful film, and I'm sure it's going to find a very good home. And um, I'm very pleased to be the new co-host on Fat Free Film. All right, you're very welcome to be here. I'm glad to have you. Um, I also want to thank Justin Shoemaker, who's been um, standing here holding the boom today. This is kind of an experiment for us. He's got a, uh, what is that uh, device that you have over there that you're recording with? This is called a Sound Devices 702T, and it's a portable uh, digital audio recorder. Great. So we're going to try that out today and uh, 
see uh, what the luxury of having that device does for us. <laughs> and onward. onward. <laughs> so uh, we will uh, see you next week, and thank you guys for being here. Thank Thanks you for having us. us. All right.